0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. I'm Tyler Tischler, Associate Editor for Reading Views, Incorporated.
1: And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's October 25th, 2007, and welcome to episode number 48 in our series. Tonight's topic is Tips for Planning and Organizing Research for Your Nonfiction Book. Our special guest, who will be joining us this hour, is Liz Carmack. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is AuthorsAccess.com. Please send your questions and comments to info at AuthorsAccess.com. I'm pleased to have Tyler back in our virtual studio this evening. He is the author of the Marquette Trilogy, a saga spanning 150 years on the shores of Lake Superior and he is also the proprietor of marketfiction.com. And we're counting down, or rather up, to episode number 50, when we will be releasing the Author's Access Volume 1, a CD compilation of the first 50 shows in one easy-to-use CD that will work perfectly with your iPod. Now tonight, we're going to be talking with writer and researcher Liz Carmack. Her love for heritage travel and her desire to provide travelers with a practical reference to Texas's own historic hotels inspired her to write Historic Hotels of Texas, A Traveler's Guide, which you can find out about at www.historictexashotels.com. During her research, she traveled more than 20,000 miles back and forth across Texas to visit 64 hotels, which are featured in her book. She interviewed local historians, innkeepers, and hotel guests and uncovered historic hotel details in archives, libraries, and museums. Liz is a freelance technical and business writer for the public and private sectors in Austin, Texas, and is principal of Liz Carmack Communications. Her travel articles have appeared in Texas Highways, Austin Woman, and Heritage Magazines. A former newspaper journalist, she is the Austin City expert for homeandabroad.com. Welcome, Liz.
2: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here.
1: Yeah, we're very happy to have you tonight, Liz. Um, we want to get started by just
0: finding out a little bit about your book about historic hotels. And specifically, could you tell us how you decided to write a book about historic hotels? And then on a more broad sense, could you tell us how you went about choosing a topic that you felt was significant and interesting enough that you were going to be able to focus on it for a long-term book-length project?
2: Exactly. That's a very good uh, very good question to start. I have been a writer for many years. Um, about three years ago, I was working for a state agency here in Austin, and I wasn't getting to do as much writing as I had been in the past. And I love Texas so much. Since I've moved here in 1988, I planned several trips across the state and used a lot of um, old travel guides to visit um, particular areas of the state. As I learned more about the state, I thought, boy, this is incredible. Some of the old inns that uh, my husband and I chose to stay in, I didn't really think that people knew about these places. Um, There was a hotel down along the coast called um, the Luther Hotel in Palacios. And we chose to visit there in February. We found a few snowbirds there who had traveled all the way from Alaska and Canada to stay at this not very large hotel, but it's right on the bay and very homey. Uh, the rooms look like they've been, you know, decorated in the 1970s and they didn't change since then. And I thought, you know, I love places like this. I know there have to be other people out there who who love who love the same thing and they just don't know about these places. I tried to find a current guide available and the latest guides that were to historic inns in Texas had been published in the early nineteen eighties and they weren't comprehensive. I can't imagine doing something like this in the eighties when you didn't have the internet to help you with your research. But they weren't comprehensive and they weren't updated, and so that's how I came up with the idea, and I was lucky enough to meet an editor at Texas A&M University Press who liked the idea when I submitted my book proposal.
0: So what did you do then? What what was the next step in the process for you, or if a person is um, looking to start doing a research project, how do you actually get started? I mean, you have all these hotels that you're interested in writing about. It's It's such a large array of information that you were gathering, what, what is the, like the first and second step in the process?
2: Sure. Well, you know, I had my own little list of hotels, of ones that I was aware of, and it was about 15 places. Um, I was lucky enough to run into someone who is an architectural historian who works for a state agency here, and he had traveled all over the state. And I thought, boy, I need to pick this guy's brain, first of all, that was before I had even written my book proposal. I knew I needed to develop a much longer list of hotels and have a, an idea of where these places were located in different regions before I could write my book proposal. So I, I met with him, and he was a great source to help me just see the broad perspective because, I, like I said, I only knew of about 15 places, and I could not travel around and find these places. I had to find someone who had already done that. And he did that sort of traveling with his work. So he was an excellent source to start. I then um, found a an association that works with historic accommodations in Texas. They had a directory of members, and I went through that list. Of course, several of those folks run bed and breakfasts, which are often in, whole, in old homes. So I focused again on hotels, and I added the hotels on that list to mine if I didn't already have them. Um, From there, I made a connection with another staff member at the Texas Historical Commission who dealt with all the county historical societies and the Main Street program. And she sent out an email to all of the listservs all of those groups across the state, letting them know I was working on this research and did they have any information for me. And that was a huge help because I received a number of emails from people in these tiny little communities that I never would have thought of. They told me about hotels that were operating. They also told me about hotels that were gone and hotels that were closed or being used for other purposes. So as I was writing the book, it developed from not just a travel guide, which it, it has seven regions of Texas um, broken out with all the hotels in each, operate, in each region that are now operating, but I also ended up adding a chapter about closed hotels because it was just so fascinating, all the information I found. I had to include some of that in there, and that touches on a lot more communities um, than just the communities that have operating hotels. So that was the, that. Was how I started.
0: So it sounds like what you really did is you, once you picked your topic, you kind of networked and not just and did research like in libraries, but you were really finding people interested and they were going out and getting more resources for you in the sense of other people. It's really letting people know about your topic.
2: Exactly. Um, I have a journalism background, so that has benefited me with this project because I know how to research topics, I know how to interview people, and I know what sources to look for, where they are going to be good resources for this information. And that saved me a lot of time up front. Um, And in planning a, a large research project like this, it really helps to identify your sources. You know, the whole universe out there is pretty large. And identify that and then winnow it down to exactly what it is that you're interested in because you can spend a lot of time researching and collecting information that you may not ever use in your book. Right. Um, So I started out kind of large, and then I realized I was going to have to even focus my book even more um, more so, because Texas has so many different types of historic accommodations. I had to make decisions about what I could include and not in my book, because the list grew from 15 up to 64 hotels, and those are just the ones that I included because they met my criteria. Um, There were a number of uh, historic lodgings on um, state park property and national park property, and so that was one group that I just couldn't include. I ended up using criteria, uh, which are each hotel had to be 50 years old or older. It had to have opened originally as a hotel. Or if not, it soon became a hotel after it opened. And thirdly, it had to be operating today as a hotel. So that helped me focus the research. And once I had that going, I knew, because I would stumble across places as I was researching. That's, That's one definite tip. When you're researching, you need to stay flexible because you're going to come across information that's connected to a subject that you never thought you would anticipate finding. And it's fine to go down that path a little way, but you really need to have some parameters or you'll get off you know, on a tangent and waste all your time.
0: So how did you go about keeping track of all this information? Like you just said a few minutes ago, how you can't imagine writing such a book in the 80s before the Internet was there. And I, I often think I can't imagine how people could write books without a computer anymore. I mean, I, I know it was yeah. done, but... Like, how did you keep track? Uh, I mean, did you have file cabinets or databases on your computer? How how did you just organize all this this information?
2: Well, I did a couple of things. Um, I have filing cabinets that are now full of files. When I started out, I just created a file folder for each hotel, and then I created a form that I used to collect information when I was on my trip. So I had a form that was for each specific hotel. It contained the contact information for who I was going to talk to while I was there, the basic information about you know where it was located, that sort of thing. And then I had this form that was three pages long, so I made sure I was collecting the same type of information for each hotel that I visited. So I had that with me. I also brought blank forms with me, because occasionally I would come across a hotel I didn't know about, When I was actually in that city, when I was in Dallas researching three hotels that I was aware of, I had allocated my time to stay one night in each hotel. And I was in the library doing research, and a librarian said, oh, well, you know about the Hotel Lawrence, don't you? And I had never heard of the Hotel Lawrence, (laughs) and I only had three days. (laughs) And um, so thank goodness she mentioned that to me because I was able to go ahead and see that hotel while I was there. I couldn't stay there that night, but I made arrangements to come back later. Um, So I had this this filing system that I collected data, and then I would come back and um, file it away, but I also kept a filing system on my computer, and I organized these things by my chapters. As my book began to take shape, that's how I organized the information, and, of course, I backed up all the information. I also took photographs while I was traveling. I took digital photos as well as 35-millimeter slides. The slides were used in my book. Uh, the digital photos have come in very handy because I was able to reference those when I was writing. There was no way I could remember all the details about a bathroom you know, that I had visited. Uh, you know, I tried to write as soon as I got back home, but still, these aided my memory. Also, I'm using those photos now because my book is is coming out in just a couple of days and I'm giving presentations, uh, so I'm using the photos for that. I use the photos on my website. Um, so they, they have really come in handy and I'm so glad I thought of doing that while I was traveling.
1: Great. I was wondering, how did you focus in on the level of detail that you were going to capture for each hotel? Did you just sit down and say, okay, I'm going to... Just hit 2,500 words on each one. or I mean, there's so much you could go into the history of the owner, about the property, the building right. itself, who lived there.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's something that kind of evolved after I had written about three or four of the hotel summaries. At first, my approach to this book was really my goal was to catalog all these hotels. I wanted to have a reference that just said these things exist and here is the history about each one, and here are a few details about what they're like. Then, um, after I got a couple of those written, I realized, you know, I, this really needs to be more of a practical guidebook. Um, yes, people want to know the history, but what I would appreciate as a traveler is a reference that not only gives me a few anecdotes, but it gives me some practical information so that I could decide to stay at one hotel as opposed to another one. So um, that I think that was a very big switch that happened really early on in the writing process and um, once I started on that track I realized okay I think I'm writing at about 800 words per hotel and so I tried to shoot for that of course there were some hotels that I went over that because they were just they're very well known they have a very well documented history so those might you know a couple of those are 1600 words a couple of them there really wasn't much to find out about them and they weren't very remarkable so maybe they were about 500 words you know people don't have a lot of time to read these days and and people are skimming and they're using the internet and i tried to keep that in mind when i wrote these summaries and and in addition to the summaries i have a very scannable sidebar called essentials and that's where i put some really practical information so that somebody who doesn't want to read all the history or, you know, want to, want to read about the decor, they can say, okay, here are the room rates. Yes, they include full breakfast with the room. Great, that's what I'm looking for. Okay, they don't accept pets, but I can bring my children. And, oh, here's some tips about some things I can see while I'm there. So I included that sort of practical information in the sidebar.
1: Right, it's sort of a, a quick reference for Someone who, you know, finds out, well, I've got to go to Houston and I don't want to stay in the holiday and what am I going to do?
2: Exactly, right.
1: Cool. Now, I just want to ask you a question as a journalist. Maybe this doesn't apply to this project, but I'm curious how you go about fact-checking some of the things that you find on the Internet because, you know, it, it's kind of a level playing field where anybody can assert anything, correct?
2: yeah. yeah. Exactly, you know, I didn't rely on the internet that much for factual information. I relied on the internet to find out to find places, you know, um, to locate sources, Um, and then I did most of the research, interviewing people and going through uh, materials that sometimes the hotels have themselves. They have their own clipping file, or they have their own. Gosh, it's like they have many museums in some of these places. Um, Also, a lot of the counties have really good archives where they have, over time, kept old hotel registers. Or they have people who have written papers about the businesses in that community. And, of course, the county histories. Um, So that's really what I relied on most for my factual information. Um, I didn't rely on the Internet as much, except, except one source I relied on a lot on the Internet, and that is the, um, it's called the Atlas. It's an online database that collects all the information about historic properties in Texas. Wow. And that is maintained by the Texas Historical Commission. And any property that has a designation as a recorded Texas historic landmark, that material um, is on the Internet in an abbreviated form. And um, I'm lucky enough to live in the state capitol, and so I could visit their library where they keep all of those application materials, and so there's a great deal of information in those files.
1: Great. Yeah, I wondered about that part. I uh, live in a somewhat historic house myself. It's 150 years old, and, and what we did was we went to the basement of the county and just went through all the deeds to find out who bought it from who, who bought it from who, and back on i'm sure you found some really interesting uh, sources of uh, information along the way
2: oh sure i sure did and you know one of the tips i would give people if they're if they're working on a project like this is you are going to find enthusiasts uh for your particular subject as you're investigating it and um some of those people have researched that topic they know the inside And out of this topic, and um, they may you may feel like you're spending an awful lot of time listening to somebody go on and on about something that they they've just been fascinated with for years. But you will find out so much just by uh, allocating the time and spending time with people. Find out who those individuals are in that area. Sometimes, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of time, and I had to make decisions about whether I was going to go sit in the library and dig through files or do I need to go interview this person whose family, you know, helped found this town and talk to them about what they remember about this hotel, et cetera. So uh, my time was pretty busy. I wasn't, you know, sitting by the pool that much when I was at uh, some of these hotels.
1: Right. I imagine you know, I was just thinking, I've been to uh, archival libraries before, and there's a certain etiquette that you really need to follow. Did you, can you describe how that works when you go into a, an archive, whether it's a public or private, and, and what they expect from you?
2: Well, you know, it's funny. I found such a varying degree of what was expected in the different archives that I was in. Um, I think the most restrictive and very professionally you know, run archive I was in was the Rosenberg Library in Galveston. And um, I had to put all of my belongings in a locker. Wow. And I couldn't even take my notebook to the table. Um, They gave me paper and and a pencil, and I had to wear gloves if I was handling materials, and they checked out materials to me, you know, one at a time. So, you know, that really is very good practice for them. Um, It gets a little frustrating because, you know, I had to go through one thing at a time and anyway they was you know that was okay i mean i that was fine it was just uh i didn't find that that often in other archives they weren't that restrictive Um, they would sometimes bring out a box of materials to me that i could dig through the whole box and i didn't have to wear gloves which i thought was amazing but i tried to be very careful with everything um but things like that Kind of amazed me because I thought somebody can walk away with some of this stuff, and in fact, a few things I wanted to find, but they had in Some of these archives in their uh, indexes, they didn't have anymore.
1: Right. Yeah. This-
2: that's one. I'm sorry. I just want to add one tip to that. Sure. And that's when you when you're if you have to travel to do your research, and you're like me, you didn't have a big pot of money to spend on this. I didn't get a grant. I tried to get a grant. To, to fund my research, but I couldn't get one. So I was had to be very frugal with my time. I called these places ahead of time. I spoke with the librarian. Oh. I found out when they were open, what time would be the best time for me to be there. Sometimes I told them, um, well, in fact, sometimes they ask me, what is it that you're researching on, and we will pull those materials for you ahead of time. Wow. So that saved me a lot of time, and I can't owe enough thanks to those individuals in all of those libraries who helped me out. So calling ahead and also finding out who to interview in those communities before you go to do your work. I mean, yes, you're going to stumble across some things you didn't know about, but it really pays to do your uh, legwork ahead of time.
1: Right. Yeah, those are all valuable tips, especially uh, calling ahead because a lot of these places just... You know, they're not open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. like you would expect a library.
2: Exactly.
1: I had one other question. You may not have run into this, but I know, I believe, uh, countries that belong to the Berne Convention, anything that was published before 1923 is technically in the public domain, but I know some archives are really uh, sensitive about reuse of their materials. Uh, do you have any Experience with that?
2: Well, I didn't excerpt anything directly from uh, any material that I used. I did reprint one historic photograph of a hotel in Galveston, and I obtained the rights to use that photograph from the Rosenberg Library. And so that was free, um, but I had to go through a process to obtain the right to use that. And so that took a little time. And if I want to use it again, uh, in a reprint of the book, I have to get those rights granted to me again. Um, As far as copyright material and that sort of thing, I didn't excerpt anything, but here's a tip along those lines. When you are out doing your research, make notes right then. If you're making photocopies of documents or newspaper clippings, whatever, write on the back of that photocopy right then all the bibliographic information Because you will be surprised. You'll get home and you'll have a folder stuffed full of papers and you won't remember where this copy came from. So if you do that right then, and then when you start to do your writing, every time you're you're looking at a source and you know, okay, this is the source I'm going to use to talk about this, go ahead and add that bibliographic information into a file. Just start your bibliography. It doesn't have to be formatted properly. It doesn't have to be alphabetized. Just dump that information into an electronic file. Um, Even if you don't have a bibliography in your book, say you just have a a list of suggested reading, you're going to be so happy at the end of the project when all you have to do is look at that file and it's already there.
0: Yeah, that sounds like great advice, Liz. I I can imagine how it would get very confusing where where, um, the different materials came from if you don't keep track of them.
2: Oh, Um, yes, and yeah.
0: I wanted to ask you a little bit more about um, the organization and the actual way you went about laying out the book. I mean, you told us about the essential sidebar that you have, mm-hmm. and you also told us a little bit about how you decided how long each discussion of each hotel would be, how many words it was. But mm-hmm. could you tell us, like, roughly how many pages are in the book? Um, how did you decide? You know, like, is the book a you know a standard six by nine size, or larger, or smaller? Is it thin? And with the photos. Um, you know, how did you decide how many photos to put in the book, or which photos? Where did you get the photos? Okay. Um, are they, you know, glossy pages? You know, all all those kinds of details in terms of, uh, you know, a travel book, or you know, just how you organize all that sort of material and make those sorts of decisions.
2: Okay. Well, first of all, the contract I had with my publisher said that they would include 60 photos in. The book. Hmm. So um, I had from the outset. They knew they were going to include a photo of each hotel, and I had started out estimating that I would probably cover about 45 hotels. That's how many I thought I would find. So that's how I came up with having. Right now, I have probably about oh, probably about 68 photos, and I have color maps identifying where the hotels are, which cities have the hotels. Um, how all that came about was as I was doing my research, I realized I'm going to have to organize this information in a very meaningful way for travelers. The state of Texas publishes a Texas travel guide. It's organized by seven travel regions. And the public who is used to using this guide and other materials are used to the names of those regions. They're used to that organization. So I decided to do the same thing with my book. So there are seven regions in Texas and um, I went about organizing my chapters that way. Um, within each chapter, there's a map that I had an artist draw. He used the same uh, parameters for that map um, as the Texas Travel Guide, and the, the cities that have hotels are in there. He also identified the major roads that get you to those cities. Um, overall, at the beginning of the, the book, I decided since it is a travel guide, you need to know a few things to get you started. You need a key that tells you uh, how to use this book and what things I use to determine uh, what would be included in the book, and some other facts like I view these hotels and and this is why you know, I explained why I didn't review that hotel. So I gave people some tips um, about you know, calling the hotels for the latest information, just the typical stuff that you find in travel guides. I looked in several travel guides and tried to replicate some of the things that I thought were most helpful. Um, I also, through the course of my research, I found out so much about historic hotels and the history of the development of hotels in Texas that I wanted to share that, give people a context. So people who are more interested in history can turn to a chapter that's called Origins of Historic Hotels in Texas. And they can read about how we had stagecoach inns, then we had railroad hotels, resort hotels, commercial hotels in urban areas, etc. Those are all fascinating groups of hotels, and that was helpful. Um, I also thought that there were some myths that people probably had about what it was like to stay in a historic hotel. And I found that the level of accommodations in these places varied greatly. There are some very luxurious, elegant hotels out there, as well as the basic ones that people may you know, think of when they think of a historic hotel. So I wrote a chapter with, I think, some very helpful information about what you can expect at different types of hotels, smaller ones, larger ones, the level of amenities, the type of atmosphere, that kind of thing. And then as I also as I was doing my writing about all these operating hotels, I came across all these hotels that were closed or that had burned um, that were sitting empty and were just, like, taking over the downtowns of some of these communities so there was no way to reopen these places. It was just, each of these had a story. And so I wrote a chapter just on um, an overview of forgotten but not, you know, not gone hotels. A lot of these places are not totally gone. They've been rejuvenated into community centers or chambers of commerce. I, I talked also about ones that were once majestic and they'd been destroyed by fire, like the Beach Hotel in Galveston, which was incredible and beautiful, and that's the one I included the photo on. So that's how the book took shape, was I knew I had this, this essential portion, which was the reference material for all the hotels that you might could visit in the state and an easy way to get to them. And then I included information in the front and the back of, of those sections, that just, I think, add a little more rich context to the overall topic. The book is a guidebook. It's not a, a coffee table book. So it's, um, it has a very sturdy paperback cover um, where the binding, when you open it flat in your lap, it stays open, but it doesn't crack the binding. And it's probably about five by seven. I don't have a ruler here in front of me, but I'm holding a copy of it. Um, it's very handy. All the photos are color The maps are in color. Um, The photos, I took most of the photos. My husband took some of the photos, and some of the photos were um, given to me by the hotels. Some of the hotels had very good interior shots, or there were huge hotels, and there's no way I could do justice taking a picture of a skyscraper. Um, So for probably about maybe ten of them, their hotel provided photos. A couple of them I had to purchase. Because uh, for one reason or another, I didn't get a photo of the building when I was there, and I found a local photographer um, it, who could sell me a copy, and that's about it. Did I cover all of your questions?
0: Yeah, no, I think definitely. Um, the the probably the last thing lots of writers think about is marketing the books. Is kind of like the last thought. I'm wondering yeah. um, right. as you were organizing and doing the research, what kinds of ideas you were you coming up with in terms of marketing the books? Did you think you had a very, um, you know, obvious audience in terms of the topic, and I'm, I'm looking at your website and I see you have a wonderful quote, a testimonial here from the president of the Texas State Historical Association. So I would think as you're going out and meeting these people and getting this information, you're finding, you know, experts in the field right there who are willing to um, give you testimonials, and as well, I see you have many book signings and other events already planned, and the book is, is set to come out in the next week, I understand. So what, That's right.
2: So
0: what sorts of um, promotional ideas did you have as you were writing the book or planning for?
2: Right. Um, well, one of the first things I would tell people is if you're contacting people to do your research, also think of those people as being contacts to help promote your book later because they're already interested in the topic They are connected with groups who may be interested in buying your book. So really keep track of all this contact information, not just because they're your sources, but because they can be your marketing resources later. Um, A lot of things I learned along the way were that I should have been thinking about some marketing uh, ideas a lot earlier than I did. Um, For instance, we have a state history museum here, and I contacted them earlier this year, with the idea of doing an exhibit on historic hotels in Texas. And they book up their exhibit space at least two years in advance. So wouldn't it have been nice for me to have a great, you know, launch of my book in conjunction with an exhibit at this museum? That would have been wonderful, but I should have thought of that to you know, earlier than this spring. <laughs> um Let's see, also, gosh, there's just so much that an author has to do to help market their book, and I'm learning so much about that as I go. Just be prepared. That's going to be one of the hardest things you do. You really need to uh, use your friends, uh, help make connections through them with book clubs. Um, that's the easy thing to do in your own community, but then you need to reach out to maybe those communities that are included in your book, that are touched by the book, um, The website. I can't impress upon people enough how important a website is. I really delayed in contacting a lot of people about my book because I didn't have a website up yet, and I just got it launched in September. So when I was trying to line up speaking engagements, a lot of those people, you know, didn't really—they don't have a book in their hand. They don't really know what I'm talking about. So to be able to give them something to have a reference point. A website is just a, a wonderful thing. It's really imperative. It's so important. Um, also, while you're traveling and you're doing your research, think about those in those communities where you're working, are there bookstores there that might want to have you come back? Are there gift shops? Um, are there groups there that you could come back and speak to? Oh,
0: I was going to say that sounds like great advice. You're like, scoping out the territory while you're there doing the research for the, the marketing later. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. You just really need to be thinking about that all along the way, like I said, with the photograph. And also, you know, keep a diary of your research. Write about the interesting things that happened to you while you were doing your research, some of the unusual things you uncovered that maybe didn't make it into the book. Everybody always wants an insider scoop, and um, people want to connect with that. So keep notes, because if you're like me, you'll forget a lot of that along the way. This is a long process, and your head's filled with your subject matter. So try to keep notes if that helps.
0: And I just have one last question for you. I was going to ask you, what sorts of unexpected um, events or surprises did you find in the ter- in terms of researching and organizing a nonfiction book, either specifically worrying about historic hotels, or, or what kind of unexpected Issues might a writer of a nonfiction book come across while doing the research?
2: Sure. Well, you you might come across sources who don't want to talk to you. (laughs) Um, I had a few hotels that really didn't have any time to talk with me. And so I would have to try to find out a lot of things about that hotel on my own. Um, It's amazing, but some folks did not want to spend the time maybe giving me a tour of the hotel, or talking with me a little bit about their clientele and some of the special things they offer their, their customers. And so I would either have to be persistent with some of those people or I would just have to, you know, find it out on my own. And since I've been a journalist, I knew that. I already had that sort of gumption of to take pictures here and there when they didn't really act like they wanted me to, <laughs> you know, things like that. You know, I, I went to a hotel in Dallas that... Didn't The manager never met with me, even though I made a couple of appointments to meet with him. (laughs) Excuse me. Um, The assistant manager gave me a very quick tour, but she really didn't want me to take any pictures, but I insisted I had to take these digital photographs so that I could remember what some of these rooms were like because I wasn't going to be able to stay there right away. And I just took them anyway. You know, one of the rules that people say is, you know, uh, do something first and then ask for permission later. We'll, Well... You know, I'm not really a brash person, but occasionally I had to do a few things just thinking, you know, this is my time. I have to take advantage of it now. Um, I did that. Um, I would find out about uh, history, little particular anecdotes about hotels, just from talking with people who live in that community. You know, you can go the state route, and you can read the county history, and you can read some newspaper clippings, and you you can talk to the innkeeper. Um, but sometimes I would just go off and talk to somebody who was in their 70s and they remembered dining in the hotel restaurant with a traveling salesmen. and they would go over there on their lunch hour from, from school because that's where their parents traded their milk from their dairy farm for their kids to get lunch and they would sit around the table dining with all these traveling salesmen who stayed at the hotel and they had wonderful stories. So you just have to kind of be curious. Stay curious and stay flexible. Excuse me.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. This has really been an informative talk, and we are so happy that you could uh, take time out to talk with us this evening. And thank you so much for being on Historic Hotels of Texas A Traveler's Guide, which you can find out about at www.historictexashotels.com. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And you've been listening to another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and Published Authors Get Successful. We'll be back on the air November 1st, 2007, when our topic will be Researching to Write About Forensic Science and Criminal Activities. And our guest who will be joining us is Andrea Campbell. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is AuthorsAccess.com. We would love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send your questions and comments to info at AuthorsAccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. For Reader Views, this is Tyler Tischler in Marquette, Michigan. For Loving Healing Press, this is Victor Wolfman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a
2: good evening.